Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. Uh, we're, we're just kind of closing out this series that we've covered uh, for about two weeks now. It's simply called the Unlock. Uh, those of us who weren't able to join us for the summer, we have gone through this 50-day campaign of freedom. So we, we've been talking about freedom, freedom from the things of the past, freedom from issues of sin and different things that we have experienced in our lives, hurts that we have gone through. And through that, only in Jesus Christ, not through other methods, but it's only through the gospel, through Jesus Christ, where we can find genuine and true freedom. And so as we are coming out of this, what we're saying is, well, God, what is it that you have for us? And we believe that God has put in us great potential to experience all that he has in store for us and that we want to be able to unlock. But here's the problem. Many of us, when we think about our lives, we are operating on a human paradigm. What do I mean by that? That everything is centered around man or woman. It's about you. It's about people. Now, the problem with that is that we change all the time. We're not constant. And this is the reason why some of us, we struggle because we are trying to find people's approval. We're trying to do all these different things to earn favor from them. And so our Christian life has really been about ourselves rather than Jesus Christ. That's why we have been promoting having more of a gospel paradigm, which is about Jesus Christ, that our whole lives circle around him. It orbits around Jesus Christ and everything that he he has done for us on the cross to what he's doing now as he's interceding for us on the right hand of the Father, that we believe that Jesus Christ is the greatest treasure that you could ever find as you come to know him as a personal Lord and Savior. And so as we've been talking about this, we said, let's go ahead and ask the Lord to unlock some of the great things that he has in store for us. And in order for us to do that, we have to center, as I mentioned, our lives around Christ. We have this curriculum called the Alive Curriculum, and one of the things that we try to do is to help equip you to not only be a disciple, but to make disciples. And being equipped to make disciples, one of the tools that we have, and many of you who have taken a live curriculum, you know, is this thing called the key. Oh, the K stands for? Know the goodness of God. And this is something that we're trying to train you in so that every single time you meet with someone, it is not so much, hey, what have you been up to? How are you doing? Even though I'm not saying that that's a bad phrase, you can say that, but once again, every single time we think about, well, how are you doing? Like, how's your week been? It makes us look at ourselves. But the question that we want to be able to switch around is to simply say, how has God been good to you this week? So then our mind shifts, and now we're thinking about God about his goodness, about his greatness. And that's why one of the questions we want to encourage you to ask, especially if you're doing accountability groups, if you're meeting up with one another for coffee, is to always ask, how has God been good to you? Because we don't want to make it about ourselves. We want to make it about Jesus. Last week, we talked about engaging in the great commandments. Why is that important? Because once again, a lot of times we do things so we could somehow win favor from God. God has already given us favor. He's called us loved and beloved, and He has redeemed us. He's saved us. He rescued us from sin. And that's why everything that we do flows out of that understanding of the gospel. Many of you who grew up in the church, a lot of it is about works, what you do. And I'm not saying doing things for God is a bad thing, but I always go down to motivation. I see so many people, and some of them are in our church, who decides to serve God, and they didn't check their motives. Why are they doing it? Oftentimes, it's because peer pressure. Maybe their leader told them, hey, it would be great to serve. Or you're looking around, and you're like, you know what? Maybe I should serve, but the motivation is really for yourself. That's why you start serving for about a month, two months, and then you get tired. And whatever excitement that you got is no longer there. So what do you do? You end up saying, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm okay. I've been there and done that. So your motivation for serving was not understanding the gospel, realize you are a debtor of love. 
you are indebted to God for all that he has done. So now everything that I do for God is I'm becoming a living sacrifice and say, God, here's my life. Do whatever you want to do with it. I will serve you, love you. I will gladly give my time, my talents, my treasure, because it's all about you. That should be our motivation. So that's why when we engage in the great commandment, which is what? To love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is what? To love your neighbor as yourself. The motivation in which why we do things is because God first loved us. Now we're loving him with everything that we have. And that's why we love other people because God first loved us. Today I want to talk about yielding to the Holy Spirit. So here's the key. If you know the goodness of God, you're engaging in loving God and loving people, which sums up all the law and commandments. And then you live your life where you're yielded to the Holy Spirit. You're listening to the Holy Spirit. Your life will never be the same. In fact, you will grow as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus Christ, there will be abundance in your life that other people can see and feel and experience because they're around you and they know that something's different. I think every single one of us who has, is a Christ follower or at least have some desire to know God more, that's what we want. There are many of us in here, we have already gone through life where it's tiring. We make it about ourselves. We make it about what I can get out of it. That's a tiring life. After a while, you're going to probably phase out from the face of this earth and say, you know what, Christianity doesn't work for me. Because we entered in the wrong way. Instead of saying, God, it's about you, not me. Many of us, we made it about me, made it about us, and we said, God, because you love me and because I'm accepted and I get to get this and Somehow some, he turns into a Santa Claus, and guess what? At the first moment of trial, at the first moment of difficulties, many of us give up. I've yet to see that from someone who really understands the gospel and realizes they don't deserve anything, but it's God, in his goodness, lavished his love on us by sending his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. This is the reason why, as we're talking about this next and last letter of the why, is yielding to the Holy Spirit. It's really important to understand it's about listening to God, surrendering yourself to what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. That's what I want to talk about this morning. So I want to start off and kind of ask us a question, something to, for us to think about. I'm wondering, has there been a time in your life where you've actually felt or heard and you knew that it was the voice of God or it was God speaking to you directly. This is one of the reasons why many of us are still kind of floundering around trying to figure out what it is that God is doing. I'm wondering, when was the last time or has there ever been a time where you actually heard the voice of God, God speaking to you, and you've yielded to Him, to the work of the Holy Spirit, and you've began to follow and obey. I had to learn this very quickly, especially when I was growing up in my Christian walk, but it was really highlighted when I started doing missions. When I started going out, I realized that there are so many things that happen on the mission field because you're the foreigner. You don't know a lot of stuff that's going on. You don't know the things that are happening around you. So you have to trust in God. You got to depend on God. You got to listen to his voice. You got to spend time with him so that you can lead a team of people, whether it's 20 or how many people you're leading, because their, their lives are in your hands. You're, you're watching over them and leading them. And I remember one of the places that our first missions projects that we went to, um, it was in Lima, Peru. South America. And I want to uh, introduce you to uh, Pastor Robert and Karen Berger. And uh, I don't know if some of you, I, I'm, I'm hoping, I've been telling him, I want to get you out here. I've known him for close to about 20 some years. 
He has been like a mentor as well as uh, just a, a friend. He has become a friend over the years. And I remember a story that he shared that was really powerful because they were from San Diego and they decided to move down to Lima, Peru because they felt this calling from God. And they went to Peru during a time where it was not easy. It was in the 70s and even into the 80s. And those of you who know a little bit about history, you know that in the 1980s, there was a terrorist group called the Shining Path. And this terrorist group, over a period of time, literally killed almost 70,000 Peruvians. And the way they did it was they set off bombings all throughout the major cities all over Peru, especially Lima, because that is the capital. And so he was telling me different stories of just the power of God during this time. And it really moved me. And I'm like, man, I, I, I want to experience some of these things. He was sharing one story about when he was preaching the gospel. The problem is this. During that time, when the shining path, they were uh, taking over the whole country and there was fear and terror. All the American mission organizations told all their missionaries to come back home. It's too dangerous. But as he began to pray along with his wife, Karen, they felt that they, they wanted to stay. Now, I don't know about you, but to be able to stay in a situation like that, that tells you that they're, they're cut from a different cloth. They're different. And so they decided to stay even though their life was at risk, even though there were a lot of things going on politically in that place. They felt called to the Peru Peruvian people, so they decided to stay. And he began to share a couple stories that really impacted me as I was listening. One of the stories that he shared was that as all these other foreign missionaries and American missionaries, they all went back. As he decided to stay, he started preaching the gospel every single time he had an opportunity, especially on Sundays. And one time he was preaching the gospel and he, he said that he felt this overwhelming move of the Holy Spirit upon his life. And as he presented the gospel, he invited people to come to the front to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And he said when he looked out, there was one man that looked very kind of odd because he, he was carrying a duffel bag and did not look like the typical guy. Uh, maybe off the, he, he looked almost like military. He walks up to the front and he does the gospel presentation and they receive Jesus Christ and this man began to cry and he began to come over to that person and just introducing himself and this man says, Pastor, you don't understand why I'm here. He opened up the bag and there were all these guns and weapons because he was supposed to kill Pastor Robert during that service after it was done. But the Holy Spirit led Pastor Robert to share the gospel in that moment, and that person came to know Jesus Christ. Now, you, I was like 27, 28 years old. I'm like, wow. You know, I was like, oh my goodness. Those things kind of get me really excited. I'm like, wow. And so I began to inquire more. I said, well, what was it like back in the 80s here in Lima? He goes, it was crazy. But one of the things that he realized that he needed to teach the people is just not to have fear, to trust in God, to be in fellowship and communion with God. And he was teaching them how to listen to God's voice. And there was this one lady who shared a story with Pastor Robert. She said that she was walking down the street in downtown Lima, and she didn't know why, but she felt the Holy Spirit telling her, run. Now, I don't know about you, but it's like going to TST and it's like, run. Like, why? You know, I don't want to sweat. You know, you know how it is. But here she is walking on a street in the downtown business of Lima, Peru, and she fell from the Holy Spirit telling her to run. So as she, that voice became stronger, that impression in her heart became stronger, what she did was she turned around and just began to walk fast and began to run. And, he, and this lady is telling the story, and about 10 to 15 seconds later, a bomb just went off. I mean, I'm hearing these stories. I'm like, oh, my goodness. It's like, here are these people, modern-day, like, first-century church people who are in fellowship with God. They're listening to God's voice, and their life is being transformed. And in this case, protected.
I'm just wondering what would happen if we learned how to listen to the voice of God and yielded ourselves to the Holy Spirit every single day. I would like to propose to us, I think many of us in this room, our lives will not be the same. But there within lies the problem. It's never a problem with God. He's always speaking. The problem is with us. We're not listening. We're not yielding ourselves. We're not surrendering ourselves to the will of God. I want to show you this quick video that helps highlight what I'm just stating here. God is speaking to every single one of us every single day. In little ways, in big ways, but He's speaking to us. The question is, are we listening? So this video is going to help us to kind of visualize God speaking to us through post-it notes. So let's watch this together. Are we listening? And some of you might be thinking, man, if I had those kind of post-its all over the place, then of course I'll know that he's there. But many of you know that he is there. The presence of God. He's speaking constantly. On, a given, on any given day, he's trying to get your attention. But the problem is we're too busy. We're too distracted. Once again, what would happen if every single day you hear the voice of God and you yield yourself to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? What would your life look like? Well, if I could just imagine, I would say some of you will start experiencing some incredible miracles. Some of you will not be as so insecure. Some of you might not be as so depressed. Some of you might not turn over to that sin as you're constantly finding yourself turning to when you feel what you feel. Some of you will have the confidence to do things that you know that you cannot do on your own. Some of you will start reading the Bible and start praying. Henry Blackaby in his book, Experiencing God, he writes something that I think is interesting. He says this, God speaks through a variety of means. In the present, God primarily speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstance, and the church. What he's saying is that God, through the Holy Spirit, not only speaks to us, but he uses the Bible, he uses prayer, he uses circumstances, and sometimes he uses other people. But once again, as I shared earlier, the problem is not with God, but it's with us. Too distracted. Closing our ears. Consumed with other things. So today I want to talk about yielding to the Holy Spirit. So here's the one thing that I want us to remember. And it's simply this. The Spirit will lead us each day. Therefore, we must slow down to pray. That the Spirit of God is going to lead us every single day if you would just allow Him to do that. That's why we have to slow down and begin to pray. Start praying and we're going to hear from God and it's going to give us the courage to move forward. Let me talk about two things uh, in this passage. If you haven't turned to it yet, it's Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 through 25. Uh, many of you are familiar with this passage but I want to talk about it in the context of how the Spirit will lead us every single day if we will just slow down and start to pray. Two things I want to highlight for us. First of all is this. As we pray, we need to understand that the Spirit will guide us. The Holy Spirit will guide us. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 16 through 21. It's a long portion of Scripture, so just try to follow along as best as you can. It says this. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. 
Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let me expound on this as we talk about how when we begin to pray, the Holy Spirit will guide us. It's kind of interesting to note that Apostle Paul uses the phrase, walk by the Spirit. The reason why this is important is because you have to keep in mind that he's writing this le letter to the Galatians, where majority of the people were Jewish Christians. So they had a, a lot of familiarity with the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, the verb to walk is translated as to behave, or to live. So when you think about that, you realize what Paul was trying to say is not only walk in the Spirit, he's like, live in the Spirit. Behave in the Spirit. Now, of course, in the Old Testament, it is to live in the ways of the Lord, which was guided by the obedience to the law. So the law is not necessarily a bad thing because it helps us to understand God, but now we have Jesus Christ so now the Holy Spirit will enable us to walk in the ways of Jesus Christ and who He is. The reason for walking in the Spirit is so that we will not, what? We see this, we will gratify the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh is reference to our sinful nature. That part of us that we still, because we live in this world, we still have a sinful nature. Even though God has redeemed us, we, He has made us righteous, we still sin. So what does it mean to walk or to live by the Spirit? Let me read it, this passage in a couple different translations to give us a better idea. I'm going to read it from the Amplified Version. Listen to what it says. It says this, But I say walk habitually in the Holy Spirit. And that means what? Come on, say this. Seek Him and be responsive to His guidance. So let's just pause here. When we talk about walking in the Spirit, or living in the Spirit, or behaving in the Spirit, it simply means you're seeking Him, and then you are responsive to His guidance. As He speaks to you, as He leads you, as He shows you, then you are responsive. You're not apathetic. You're not passive. You are responsive. Because you realize this is God speaking to me. And then you will certainly not carry out the desires of the sinful nature, which responds what? Come on. Impulsively without regard for God and his precepts. That describes us perfectly. When you think about some of the areas that you're struggling with, and especially when you sin, Unless you're really evil, you're like, ha, 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 I'm going to sin. God, get ready. I'm going to sin in this way. No. As many of you know, a lot of times when we sin, it's what? Impulsive. That temptation, that moment, that opportunity, it's Satan kind of crouching on the door and he's just waiting for us to take the bait. And that's why when we sin in our sinful nature, it is so true. It is an impulsive decision without any regard for God. Let, let me help you to put it in this way. When you're all by yourself, it's really easy to sin. Are you with me? Does that make sense? Now, when your mom or dad is there, uh-uh. When your roommate is there, uh-uh. That's why it's so much easier to close the door. So if you have a regard for God that He's with you in your life, in, in, the, in His presence is with you, then once again, even though the temptation is there, the impulsiveness will be dampened because you realize He is in your midst. That takes somebody who understands as they're communing with God, walking with God, because they're seeking Him. Let me give you another translation. In the Living Bible, it says this. I advise you to what? Come on, say this. Obey only the Holy Spirit's instructions. So it's almost as if the Holy Spirit is giving you instructions. Telling you what to do. Guiding you. Leading you. And then it says, He will tell you 
where to go and what to do. And then you won't always be doing the wrong things your evil nature wants you to do. I mean, think about this and tie that in with what I just talked about. I don't know how many people, they're always like, God, what do you want me to do? You know, where do you want me to be? Should I go here? Should I stay? Should I take this job? Should I take that job? And a lot of times, if you're listening to your own selfish desires, I'm going to tell you, there's going to be an impulsive decision. Now, let me put it in a way that you can understand. I realize in Hong Kong, it's always about you're working, but you're always looking for another job. You know how it works. Because you're dissatisfied. And somehow you think to yourself, if I could find another job that pays me a little bit more. Now, don't raise your hand. I'm just putting this as a rhetorical question. How many of you then jumped ship and then you went over to that other company and all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, it was better over there. Come on, Jesus. You know what I'm talking about. Because once again, impulsively, all you're looking at is more money. You get to do all this kind of stuff. But then once you get in there, you realize, I don't like this work culture. Where I was before, it was better, even though it paid less. See, once again, what we are seeking after, what is a priority for us, what instructions that we are governed by will dictate where we will be. Once again, where would our lives be and what would our life be like if we lived or walked by the Spirit the way the Scripture tells us? And I think it's interesting that in verse 17 that we read, Paul clearly explains that there's a conflict that's going on. And the conflict is between the flesh, our human nature, the sinful nature, and what the Spirit desires. They are in conflict. And the thing is that they are in opposition to one another, and there is a struggle. Now, as soon as you think about that, you realize, oh, Paul talked about that in another place in the book of Romans. Do you remember he described that struggle that we all know so very well? Listen to what it says in the um, New Living Translation. It says this, I don't really understand myself. Now, can I get an amen? I don't know about you, but some of you are still like, who am I? And there are times when, even though you might be very mature, you're like, you know, I don't even know myself. You lose yourself sometimes. So he says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. Why is it good? Because it's telling you you're sinning before God. That's why the law is good. Not that you're obeying it, but it shows you that you need Jesus. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is a sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It is the sin living in me that does it. I've discovered this principle in life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a a miserable person I am who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death. Thank God the answer is in Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. What we just read tells and describes for each one of us what we feel every single day. I want you to think about your life, just for a moment. On every single given day, how many times do you feel this? There are some things that are so clear, you know it's wrong. It's not good for you. It doesn't edify people. It it, it doesn't glorify God. You know this. You don't have to have someone tell you. You might play innocent and say, oh, I didn't know. 
that's your way of justifying, but you know there are things that are not good. But it says, I can't. I can't do good. I can't obey. Why? Because if you try to do it on your own strength, your own wisdom, your own guidance, your own power, you will fail. That's what Paul is trying to describe. There's another law working in me that even though I want to do good, I cannot do this because I am a slave to sin. So what a wretched or miserable person that I am. Who could save me from this? And the only person, the answer is whom? It's found in Jesus Christ. I think this is the reason why when Paul talks about walking in the Spirit, he's talking about dependence on the Holy Spirit and not being dependent on ourselves. Listen to this. This is important. You cannot have it both ways. They are mutually exclusive. What that simply means is that you cannot be dependent on God and dependent on yourself at the same time. You are either dependent on God and not dependent on yourself, or you are dependent on yourself and you're not dependent on God. You cannot have these two things working at the same time. It's either one or the other. So here's my question. When you think about areas of your life, whether it's areas of obedience, whether it's the future, whether it's other stuff that you're going through in your life, the question is, who's guiding you? Is it your impulsive, sinful nature that you make decisions on and then later on you regret? Filled with guilt, you lack the joy, you avoid God, you avoid people? Or is it the Holy Spirit who's guiding you and as you begin to obey Him, not through your own strength, but as you learn how to depend on Him, through that obedience, you're experiencing joy, you're experiencing just peace in your heart because you're living inside the will of God. Now, I thought it's important that we need to note here that no Christ follower or Christian can be completely free of these desires. Because we're still sinful in our nature, but Christ has provided a way for us to be forgiven. So the key thing is that we don't have to give in to those desires and we have the Spirit to help us along. Not to say you're going to be perfect. There, there are some people in different Christian camps that says that you could perfect yourself. Huh. They don't know themselves. Who am I? I don't understand myself. You cannot perfect yourself. Yes, there might be some sins that you overcome, but there will be other things that will come up that you realize how much more you need God's forgiveness and His grace. So I want to be very clear that he's not saying when you're dependent on God, you will never sin. But he will lead you and guide you. Another thing that I think is important to understand is verse 18. It says that if we are led by the Spirit, we are not under the law. Paul is trying to emphasize that a godly life is not lived under rules and trying to do all these good things. But it's led by the Spirit. Some of you are still trying to do all these good things and you're trying to overcome the issues of your life and you're going to fail miserably the point that he's trying to make is you cannot do it it has to be the spirit of god who leads you and guides you and then you have to be responsive to his leading this is why too many of us are living under the human paradigm rather than the gospel paradigm this is why we either get very discouraged or apathetic when you're operating in the human paradigm you've seen it before you try to love God, you're trying to obey God, but you fail, and then you try harder, and then you get more upset at yourself, and then you try even harder, and then you finally realize, you know what, it's not going to work. So it leads to depression, it leads to apathy, and you want to give up in your Christian life. That should, alone should show you you are not operating on the gospel, gospel paradigm. We've got to yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. And as we yield ourselves that's when we realize it's God who's going to provide everything for us. Here's a verse that'll help you. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, listen to what it says. 
By His divine power, God has what? He has given us everything we need for living a godly life. I want you to park it there for a second. This is God's Word. It says here that God, the Father Almighty, through Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, He has given us everything that we need to live a godly life. We don't need anything else. He has already given it to us. The power of words, the promises He has given, the forgiveness that is offered to us when we do fail. He has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know Him, the what? The one who called us to Himself. So once again, it is God's work that He's the one who called you into this relationship with Him. By means of His marvelous glory and excellence, and because of His glory and excellence, He has what? Given us great and precious promises. Once again, God is generous. He's giving you these promises, assurances. So even though you fail, even though you continue to sin, when you hold on to these promises, it enables you to say, you know what? I don't want to live this kind of life anymore. I want to live for God. And then it says, and these promises that enable you to share His divine nature. That is a powerful phrase. Not that you're going to become God, but that you will become more like in the traits of being holy in that divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. I want you to just, just let it saturate it in your mind that He has provided and given you everything you need to live a godly life. That's why in verse 19 through 21, as we're still talking about, as we pray, the Holy Spirit will guide us. It's interesting that Paul lays out some of the works of the flesh, the sinful nature. And when you read that list, you will be like, oh my goodness, for sure, this is when I'm trusting in myself. I want you to look at that phrase in verse 19. It says, are, these things are evident. What he's simply saying is that it, it's, it's clear that it's a natural result if you trust in yourself. That's why in the Living Bible says this, but when you follow your own wrong inclinations, your lives will what? Produce these evil results. Think about that. When you follow being guided by your own flesh rather than being guided by the Holy Spirit, then your lives will produce these evil results. So let me just pause here, and I want to make sure we understand this because it's about taking responsibility. I don't know how many people play the victim card and you will never change. And I'm going to say this over and over again. I have done ministry over 30-some years, and every single time I come across people who do not take responsibility for their sin and for their action, they have not changed. Period. Bring somebody who doesn't take responsibility for their anger, their bitterness, and, and, and show me if they have genuinely changed. We're talking close to 30-some years of doing ministry. To this day, I have not met anyone who plays the victim and I have seen genuine transformation in their lives. But pastor, that person molested me. But pastor, my parents, they did this to me. That stranger, they hurt me in this way. My ex-boyfriend, my ex-girlfriend, they did this to me. And that we don't condone. We understand that you're hurt. But where you take responsibility is not so much because what they did to you, but what you take responsibility is to say, you know what? I had a lot of anger. I had a lot of bitterness in my heart. I was not able to give them the gift of forgiveness because I was so high and mighty when I realized that I'm just as sinful. And when you begin to see things from that perspective, you're no longer the victim. You actually have power. You have the power to love, power to forgive, power to change your life, to go in a different direction because God is leading you to the truth. And here we are. There are some of you in this room still playing the victim, blaming other people for your situation and because of that missed opportunity or that leader did this or said this or this is where I am. And I'm telling you right now, before you even get started, you will not 
change. You could prove me wrong. I'll take you out to a nice steak dinner. And I'm telling you right now, you will not change. You could blame your circumstance. You could blame all the people in your life. But if you don't take responsibility, you will not change. I'm not trying to minimize you being a victim. You were victimized. Because someone sinned against you. But this is where you have to take that hurt and you give it to God. And you take ownership of that bitterness. You take ownership of that anger. So what he says is that if you follow the wrong inclinations, your own wrong desires, not being guided by the Holy Spirit as you're praying, he says you will produce these evil results. What are these evil results? Let's just go through this quickly. I'm not going to time to expound on it, but let me just give it in the big 35,000 feet perspective on this. The list of sins that he mentions from verse 20, uh, 19 through 21 is that you could put it into three categories. And I've kind of uh, numerated in this way. The first one is there are some raw, sensual sins. That's why he mentions sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. And then even in verse 21b, it says drunkenness and orgies. That's just raw, sensual sins. That many of us in this room, we know that pull. That pull to look at pornography. That pull to be in that kind of relationship with benefits. There are a lot of things for us, the things that you watch, the things that you hear, the things that you engage in. These are things that you, we make a decision to do. Well, you can say, well, God, you know, I, I just can't stop myself. Well, I will flip it around and say this. You're just giving into your inclinations rather than depending on God. You know, I, th I think one of, the, one of the breaking moments or like the breakthrough moments is that maybe for, like, let's just say, five years, you've always turned to this one particular sin. Five years. Every single day, or maybe every other day. After a while, you get numb. And after a while, you don't even believe if you could change. And in that moment of five years of sinning in this raw, sensual sin, there's that moment where all of a sudden you feel God almost pressing against you and saying, don't do it. And you know how that works. We, we love to always beat out God. Because we're like, break through. You know, speed bumps, no speed bumps. We fly through that thing. But in that moment, there's something that's pressing against you and you're like, wait a minute. And you don't know what, but it just seems like now... Your perspective is changing. You're like, okay, God, I feel like you're here. Your presence is real. And I'm going to make a decision now to say no. And all of a sudden, the thing that you were so used to and familiar with that you would turn to every single time for that raw, sensual desire, you were able to stop it at that moment. Do you know what it does to you? If you've ever experienced it, you know what I'm talking about. If you're able to say no and by God's grace and by dependence on Him, you were able to turn away from that thing. It gives you a lot of power. In fact, if you feel like you're, you just climbed a mountain, and that picks up momentum, and you realize, wow, if I could just listen to God, if I would just be guided by Him, if I could just pray and depend on Him, then I could actually overcome. You start doing this more, and it builds up greater faith. And as it begins to great, build up greater faith, you have greater confidence. So that next time, even before it even comes, you can actually pick it out and say, God, I'm going to choose you. Not my own desires. The raw sensual sins. Another one that he mentions that if you follow your own inclinations, that's going to have an evil result, is that there are religious sins. What are those religious sins? He talks about idolatry. And many of you know, during this time in Galatia, they were worshiping all these other idols and all these other gods. That was part of their religion. And some of them was tied into the prostitution 
of these temples, that they will worship these gods and they will bow down to these idols. And he's saying that that is from the flesh. You know the truth. You know who is worthy of worship. There's no one that even comes close. But here you are bowing down to some of these idols. Now, some of us are like, well, we don't go to a temple. We don't do all this stuff. But there are idols in your life. The idols of success. The idols of marriage. The idols of relationship. The idols of comfortability. You, there are idols. Some of you have a whole shrine of these little idols, bobbleheads. I don't know. And then there, there's a, all over. And every single morning we bow down to it before we go to work or before we go to school. And every evening when we come back, we bow down to it before we go to sleep because this is what we're going to be doing next day. That's a decision that you make. And if you're not dependent on God and you're not being led by Him and He's guiding you, then what happens is that you're going to give in to that and have disastrous results. Sorcery, He mentions. Witchcraft, He mentions. It goes on. And then the third thing is this. So not only the raw sensual sins, not only the religious sins, but the last thing that he mentions are the relational sins. He talks about enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, division, envy. This all deals with people, other people, and things that brew inside our hearts. Just looking at this list, how many of us fall into these besetting sins? It should be obvious that we're giving into our flesh our own desires rather than yielding to God. Like, can I just mention one thing here? I think this is also very important. It's kind of interesting that Paul adds the phrase, and things like these. You know what he's saying? Because there will always be somebody, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. So when he says, and such things, things like these, what he's saying is this. This is just a general representation. It's not all the sins of the world, you sinner. That's what he's trying to say. There are things in your life that I might not have listed, Paul says, but it's things like these that's about you. It's about your own desires. That's why in verse 21, see, Paul warns the people, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What he's simply saying is that a Christian, they're not going to lose their salvation. Listen to me carefully. This is important. It's a theological point. When he says that you will not inherit the kingdom of God, he is not saying to the believers, you're going to lose their salvation. Can you imagine? Some of you guys sitting there like, oh my God, I'm going to lose my salvation. That's a total works mentality. What he is trying to say is this. That you as a follower of Jesus Christ, if you happen to fall into these sins, to go back into it, God has provided a way for you to seek Him again, to be guided by the Holy Spirit as you begin to pray. Ask for forgiveness. Commit your life once again to following Him. But what He is saying is this. But if you continue to sin and not turn, and there's no remorse, there's no conviction of repentance in your heart, then what he's saying is this. You might not have been saved in the first place. Wow, this is a hard teaching. How is it that I said that prayer, did all these things, but I'm not saved? Well, to you I will say this. There's a lot of people that I know that have said and committed a lot of things, but once again, you wonder if they're genuinely saved. One of the signs that you are genuinely saved because the Holy Spirit's in you is what we call the conviction of sin. It's a conscience. That's the Holy Spirit. So when there's certain things that you do and you feel a little bit guilty and you know something is not right, then I would say that's a good sign that you are saved because that's God speaking to you. But if you do not have anything like that, then I would say and I would wonder to you, have you really made a decision to follow Jesus Christ? Let me close out with this last one. This, this is going to be helpful as we look at now what's the other side of this. See, when we begin to pray, which is dependence on God, leaning upon Him, trusting in Him, not only does the Spirit guide us, but when we begin to pray, guess what? The Spirit will grow us. Let's finish off with verse 22 to 26. Listen to what it says. 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus, uh, Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Paul shifts gears and he mentions that what will grow and be produced if we will yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. He, he's just pretty much saying, let me tell you now what can actually happen if you would yield yourself to the Holy Spirit, if you would trust in Him, if you would depend on Him. And he lists these fruit or traits, and I, I want to just pause here and just kind of shift our attention for a moment to Jesus. Do you remember when Jesus says, you will know people by their what? Fruits. Matthew chapter 7, listen to what it says. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. A good tree bruises good fruit. Okay, we're slowly getting this. On the yellow section, I want you to say it with some conviction, all right? A bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can produce bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. So with that, you're now looking back into Galatians, and in verse 22 to 23, we see a list of nine fruits when we are living or walking in the Spirit. Now, this is very, very important. It is contrasting with the fruit of living by your sinful nature which is the raw central desires, which is the religious sins, which is the relational sins, all of those things that we just looked at. But I want you to note this in verse 22, that it's not fruits, plural, of the Spirit, but it is what? Fruit. It is singular. I, I, so many people mistake this. I keep on hearing that. Oh, the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Now, why does Paul call it the fruit of the Spirit when he lists nine different fruits? The reason why he does this is that he wants people to understand that these qualities, love, joy, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and all that stuff, are just qualities that represent a unified trait. What he's simply saying is this. It has to do with character and Christ-likeness. So when you are walking in the Spirit, you don't, you don't just, I'm a loving person, but then you, you are impatient. The point that he's trying to make is this. You, when you are yielded by the Holy Spirit, yielded to the Holy Spirit, all these traits and qualities will be, be produced in your life. Why? Because you cannot have one of these fruits without having these other ones. Are you with me? They're interconnected. Let me give you an example for you to understand. When you don't love people, then it's hard to what? Have joy and peace. Isn't that true? Think about it for a moment. When you hate people or people hurt you, you're like, oh, I hate you. You're not going to be like a joyful person. You're not going to be like this incredibly uh, just peaceful. No. Every time you see them, like, are you okay? I'm just emo right now. Don't, don't bother me. And I'm like, oh, okay. Another example. When there is no self-control, which is one of the fruit of the Spirit, then it's easy not to be faithful to do the things that God has called us to do and to be. Think about that. Why did God put faithfulness as one of the fruit and then He put self-control? Because it's so true. If you don't have self-control, you cannot be faithful. Some of you are like, okay, what are you talking about? Well, students, listen up. If you don't have self-control and all you do is play video games for five, six hours... You're not going to be faithful to your studies. Are you with me? And folks who were working, you're so tired, so you deserve a break. And so you watch Netflix till about 2 in the morning, and then next morning you have to go to work, and you're tired. And you, you have a presentation you should be focusing in on, and you're just not doing it well. So once again, you cannot be faithful to work. So what Paul is saying, it is not fruits of the Spirit, but it is the fruit of the Spirit, because these traits and qualities are represented in unity because it is about Christ-likeness. And they are intertwined. You cannot have one 
oftentimes without these other ones. And when you think about fruits, I realize that certain fruits grow in certain climates. <sighs> One thing I miss about the States is the cold weather. If you've ever been to some of these places in the United States during autumn, like October, the trees, have you ever seen it? The trees are like turning. It's not green anymore, but it's like orange and brown, and it's just so, the fall colors. It's one of those things that I miss a lot. And then you drive with the windows down, and then you feel this cold breeze, but it's so refreshing. The only cold breeze you get is when the store door opens automatically, and you get a quick breeze. And there are some cherries that you cannot get anywhere else besides Michigan cherries. So you're like, I, I, I had some at taste yesterday. I bought some. That's not cherries. I don't know what that is. Because I had them. Doesn't like, it, it? But when you go up north in Michigan, because it's cold up there, when it's cherry season, phenomenal. September, October is what? Apple season. And that's why when you have apples during the right season, it is incredible. Apple pie, apple strudel, something like, uh, it's okay. May the Lord bless you one day and you'll see the light. But these fruits only grow in certain climates. Some of you are like, pastor, how about durian? Yes, durian only grows in Malaysia, the Philippines, Vietnam, because it is the climate. What is my point? These fruits, the fruit of the Spirit, oftentimes grows in the right climate. What is that? It's when we are surrendered and we are obedient to God. That's when you're going to start growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. I look at many of us in here and you know what? God loves you so much that he actually provided an, a, a climate or environment where you can grow. There are people who love you, people who are wanting to grow with you. We're not going to control your life, but we, we want to do everything possible to provide a space for you so you can grow. I know some of you are frustrated because you're not growing as fast as you want, but that's part of the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to be patient with one another. We're going to be loving one another, helping one another. And I'm just thinking in this coming season right now, in this new 2022 in September coming up, I'm wondering if it's the right climate and the right season for some of these fruits to grow in your life. Don't resist it. Receive it and say, God, I want to follow you. Therefore, once again, the one thing is the fruit. The Spirit will lead us each day. Therefore, we must slow down to pray. If we can do that as we pray and depend on God, we'll be guided by the Holy Spirit and we will then begin to see how God will lead us. Not just one moment, but every single day. I'm going to give us a couple things to, several things to think about as we apply this into our lives. The first thing is this. We've been talking about this. Some of you might have heard about the leaders, the life group leaders. We all went away for a summit for about a, a day and a half. And one of the things that we were sharing, Pastor Bo and I, we've been sharing is this whole idea of communion with God. And we'll talk about that in the weeks to come as we share the vision of our church and everything like that. But this idea of fellowship with God, communion with God, I think we've lost that. Maybe the best way I can explain it is this. Have you ever been around somebody or some people where you don't have to talk very much? You could just sit down and just be there just lounging and you're not even talking much, but you just feel their presence and there's a sense of sweet communion. You know what I'm talking about? If you, if you find those people, then I'm happy for you because those are some good friends that you don't always have to be talking because you know that when you have guests and you, know, you're not, you don't really know them, you always have to be talking. But you don't have to say much. You can just sit there, watch a movie together, maybe just kind of relaxing, 
on your phone, both of you on your phone, but you're not really talking much, but just enjoying each other's presence. You've all been there. When was the last time you felt like that with God? This is the reason why I want to encourage some of you to spend some alone time with God. One of the best places to do that is go hiking, go somewhere by the beach. Go somewhere where just only nature is around you, the presence of God. And then you can feel this communion with God. Develop that. Why? Because when you develop that in your life, then you're going to be able to recognize His voice when He speaks. You're going to sense things that maybe you haven't sensed before, but now you're sensing this is God. I'm wondering if you will have clarity in the purpose of your life, the direction of your life. Some of you have to make decisions, important decisions. I'm wondering if you would just commune with God that He will speak to you about the things that you ought to do. It's never the problem with God, it's us. Did you see that end of that video where there was post-its all over the place? I feel like that's, that's God and us. Post-its everywhere. We have post-its all over our face, everywhere. And we just don't see it. Commune with God. The second thing is this. Cease all striving and lean on God. Some of you keep on trying and trying and you just, you fail, you fail to the point where you just want to give up. Do you know what it means to cease striving? I think when you think about the cease of striving, it's the difference between climbing steps to get to a platform or taking the escalator. That's the difference. Striving is like, it's hard. Escalator. Stop striving and start leaning on God. And the way you lean is when you spend time with Him by prayer. Get into the Word. The third thing is this. Call upon God when you're tempted. I, I, I really, this is my heart for you. As your pastor, listen to me. I, I want every single person in this room to really experience when you call upon God, God shows up and you're able to overcome that sin or that temptation you could overcome some of you haven't experienced that yet because I don't think you really believe that God can help you in that struggle that's why I think it's so cool when you're right when you're about to sin <laughs> let me share a story it just popped in my mind so let me share it I have some friends. I won't tell you how close they are because then you can feel like, okay, which one of his friends is it? Okay, let me. There were a bunch of us during college that we hung out together. And one of the friends, he kind of had some prophetic gifting. So he kind of senses things, you know? So it was like hokey pokey. I was like, oh, okay, settle down, okay? But he had these prophetic giftings and he felt like, you know, God was using him in different ways. So one time, my other friend, he was flipping through the channels. We didn't have internet, all that kind of stuff. He was just flipping through the channels and then he came across some channels that had some risque kind of stuff. So he's trying to be a good Christian. He didn't want to look at that. So he skipped to the next channel, but then somehow his finger switched back and so he started watching. And he, he knew in his spirit that he should not do this. So he's like, oh Lord, help me. As soon as he said that, he got a phone call from that guy who's very prophetic. I want you to think, put yourself in the guy who's watching the TV, watching things that might not be edifying. And he gets a phone call from this person that we all know. And this guy goes, hey man, what are you doing? I don't know why, but God told me to call you right now. And this guy, he turned off the TV and he said, everything's going great, you know? And they talked for about a minute or so. They're like, okay, bro, I don't know why. I just felt like the Lord told me to call you, you know? He goes, well, thanks, thanks. Oh, we'll see you later. He hung up and he said he went to his room and read his Bible and prayed. 
<laughs> I'm like, God, you can intervene in any moment, in any how, in any way. Let's call upon God, amen, and believe that He will help us in the midst of those struggles. And lastly, let's confess our sins to one another. The beauty of confessing sins is the book of James that says, confess your sins to one another, and then through that you will be healed. God will bring restoration. One of the ways that Satan, as we talked about at the 50 Days of Freedom, one of the ways that he uses things in our lives to hinder us from God is he puts you in isolation. That's why I would say be very careful if you're all alone. You have no accountability, you have no friends around you, and that's where Satan likes to put you because when you're all alone, he could torment you, he could speak lies to you. But one of the things that I've learned over the years is when you confess something to somebody, the power of that sin is broken right there. It really is. It's broken. Satan can no longer try to use it against you because someone else knows. And if that person loves you and that person is walking with the Lord themselves, they're going to remind you of his forgiveness. They're going to remind you of his goodness and his greatness and his grace. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.